up, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on this fine Sunday evening in, uh, I guess, late June now. And joining me on the podcast today, first time in a couple of weeks here, the most frequent guest of the podcast, you know him well. His name is Scott Coleman. What's up, Scott? Brad, thanks for having me back. Uh, glad to see the Braves are finally starting to play at least a little bit better uh, Sunday notwithstanding, but it's nice to have a couple of wins under their belt. Yeah, I mean, they, they had won seven of eight before Sunday. Obviously, Sunday, if you listen to this, um, was today as we're, as we're recording, but it was a 7 nothing loss that was really not competitive at any point. But, you know, prior to that, the Braves were sort of red hot and, uh, you know, in a nice in a nice way. They haven't really, I mean, I, 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 I admittedly did not go back and look up the, uh, the specifics on this, but I can't remember the last time the Braves won 7 of 8. Um, it's been quite some time. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it might have happened in September last year when they got, when they got a little hot, but uh, in terms of games that actually matter for something, uh, winning 7 of 8 is uh, a, nice, a nice change of pace for sure. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. If we could talk about the the little streak there, we talk about Sunday in which Julio uh, got ba- got bashed around a little bit again. In fact, both of the both of the two losses over the over the last nine games came with Te- with Tehran on the mound. Um, yeah. we, we we could probably take either either approach to that. But anything in particular that you saw during the win streak uh, that that excited you, or anything that you wanted to uh, jump on with Julio? With Julio, I think they're really you know Sunday was maybe his worst start of the year as far as I'm concerned. Um, he's had a couple of starts where it felt like teams were just kind of uh, blooping and doinking him down all over the place. A couple balls go fair down the line that, you know, two inches to the left or right, and they and they go foul. Um, but he was just, I mean, I, I think I mentioned in the after he, he threw the, uh, the two-run homer to Travis Shaw, I mean, he was just throwing meatballs. They were 90-mile-an-hour fastballs right down the middle. His breaking stuff didn't really have any life. His changeup wasn't doing anything. Um, I, I mean, you look at his numbers now, it inflated his ZRA to 5.3, uh, his FIP is 5.77, his walks are up, his strikeouts are down, his home runs are way up. Um, you know, look, it, I, I think a lot of people were just kind of hoping, um, if not thinking, that, that Julio was just kind of on a bad stretch. But at this point, I think there is um, some very serious cause for concern because right now he's just not a very effective big leaguer. Yeah, I mean it's 16 starts at this point. That's not nothing. It's you know probably you know half half a season as we're nearing the halfway point of the year. And uh, you know you mentioned that he was really really bad on Sunday. Um, there's no there's no nothing to really excuse how bad he was on Sunday to be honest with you. Uh, but even before that, a couple of bad starts. I mean, obviously he wasn't. Uh, he's not always as bad as he was on Sunday. But the numbers that you mentioned are uh, very very troubling. He's now a sub replacement level pitcher for the season, uh, which you might expect from a guy who has a 5.77 uh, FIP on the season. Um, I mean, he's not this bad, I don't think. But with the way he looked on Sunday, it's like you can't just say that flatly and leave it there, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine he's not going to bounce back to at least to at least to some extent at some point. He is relatively young still. It's not a guy who's suddenly just lost the ability to pitch because of age. He's only twenty six. But um, yeah, I mean, Julio's been inconsistent in the past. He had a couple of bad years, obviously under his belt, but nothing quite like this um, since he sort of first came on the scene. So, um, you know, hopefully it'll turn around, but uh, obviously his his value is in the dumps right now. I mean, the, the number one question we get with kind of everybody right now, being that we're almost to July, is about trade value, and I don't necessarily want to get deep into that, but um, if you're talking about Julio Tehran, 
it's basically the worst possible time to trade him at this point. Um, the, yeah. the Braves, have, well, if they if they were gonna if they were gonna do that, um, they should have done it a year ago. Um, you know, and I had no problem with them holding on to him. The the value of the contract, we talked about that a million times. But um, people want the people are now panicking. At least a lot of Braves fans that I've seen on Twitter and asking us questions about you know about Julio on the Talking Chop account, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, kind of like wanting him to be traded. There was one uh, one question that was about Julio Tehran being traded straight up for Kyle Schwarber, uh, who's uh, also struggling <laughs> for the Cubs. Uh, a, that would never happen from the Cubs standpoint. And B, um, yeah, that's kind of where we are at this point. People are really not very yeah. happy with Julio. It's kind of tough to blame him, though, because he has been bad. Yeah, you know, with, with Julio, I wonder if just looking at the schedule here, um, again, this is Sunday night, but the Braves are off Monday and then they're off the following Monday. I wonder if the Braves would at least consider uh, kind of a phantom disabled list stint. Uh, with the off days, they could probably only have a missed one turn in the rotation. Maybe they have Bartolo fill in for him, uh, which is certainly not an ideal situation by any means. But, you know, kind of is what it is. And clearly whatever Julio is doing is not right. Um, I'm starting to think that the Roger McDowell departure is really kind of the driving factor behind this because nothing else has really changed. I mean, sure, his home park has changed. But as we've seen, SunTrust is not nearly the uh, hitter's haven that everybody kind of proclaimed it as after a week or two into the year. Uh, I wonder if the Braves will, you know, do a phantom disabled list, the old uh, groin strain or, or oblique stiffness um, that that might just let him kind of clear his head and get right physically, rest his arm a little bit. Because obviously, if the Braves are going to be even halfway competitive the rest of the way, they need more out of Julio. For sure. I mean, it's kind of amazing uh, how good the Braves have been in terms of record with Julio. Easily, they're easily their best pitcher track record-wise, uh, being as bad as he's been. It's kind of a testament to everything else that's gone right. And there has been a lot of things that have gone right this year, even though the record is not still not you know terribly exciting. It's much better than a lot of people thought it might be. And especially if you, if you told me Julio Tehran was going to have an ERA north of five, uh, I would have told you the record would be worse than it currently yeah. is. So, um, you know, on the bright side there, uh, but, uh, you know, you, your your opinions there on Julio are kind of the same that mine are. Just a note on on, on Bartolo Colon. Uh, he got scratched this week with a uh, a quote unquote stiff back after the after <laughs> being on the being on the DL with, with a strained left oblique. Um, Snicker was uh, quick to say that it was something completely different than the oblique. Um, you know, kind of take with that what you will, but uh, Colon. I'm not even 100 percent sure that he is available because you know that I mean at 44 it really he really could be injured. Uh, yeah. So at, at, at this point, but even if it wasn't uh, Bartolo, they could go with somebody. They could they could throw Matt Whistler out there. They can do something if they want to get creative here. It's a good time to do it. I'm, it's actually glad uh, good that you brought that up because um, I do I do think that if, if we hear about that with Julio. It'll be tomorrow on the off day. It'll be on Monday, so you might even uh, be hearing about this after the fact if you're listening to this. But um, if it was gonna, if it was going to happen, it would be a good time for it, and that's a good point from you. But hopefully, he'll write the ship in a hurry because uh, whether it's whether it's whether it's for trade value or just uh, had that guy in the rotation, they're going to need Julio Tehran. Um, you know, that was not the biggest story of the week, though. Uh, the biggest story of the week is uh, the notion that Freddie Freeman uh, could play third base, which I cannot even believe I'm saying out loud. Um, that might pretend uh, my uh, my thoughts on this, but without saying my thoughts on this, where are you at with the Freddie Freeman third base experiment that is now taken over the internet as this huge thing? As Freddie could be returning around the All Star break, which means uh, you know only a couple of weeks here before Freddie could be back, and uh, sort of this whole scenario that's playing out. You know, when I think it was Tuesday when the reports first surfaced that uh, that that Freddie might be playing third, and I think everyone just kind of laughed and said, "There's no way." Um, and then sure enough, the very next day, the video from, I think Mark Bowman surfaced to Freddie taking infield practice at third. 
I mean, we're going to talk about this, and there's many, many layers to this whole story. But to me, I I still think it's more of the front office just kind of positioning themselves to be in a a better position to trade Matt Adams. I, I really don't think that if if you had a sit down and, and a heart to heart with with Coppolella and and uh, John Hart that they truly want Freddie Freeman to go to third base. I guess there is pretty minimal risk with all of this, but to me. Um, I really can't imagine this goes on for more than a week or two. Um, my guess is they just have Freddie, you know, all, all credit to Freddie Freeman for at least kind of being a team player and, and saying he's willing to, to shift to third. But it is incredibly difficult at the big league level to play one position, let alone, you know, just after really a decade of only playing first base to just kind of get up on a whim and, and shift to the other side of the diamond. Um, it's really like no other sport in that sense where, you're so, you know, unless you're a utility guy, you were so tuned into just one spot on the diamond. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe it works. Maybe Freddie isn't completely terrible at third. Um, but at the end of the day, I still don't think this is a long-term thing in any way. Um, maybe through the end of, of, you know, the season here, if they really want to see what they have with Matt Adams and see if that lineup, which would be quite good, could work. But uh, you know, all things considered, I would imagine this is going to be a short experiment um, if it even gets to that point. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing to understand here is that this is still, you know, three weeks away, most likely, at the very least. I mean, there's been some positive stuff about Freddie's um, timetable, but in the same breath, like, people were talking about uh, really kind of the end of end of July, early August at one point. Now it might be mid-July, but still we're not even into July yet. So this is not an actual decision to make for about two, at least two or three more weeks now. Um, there are a lot of angles to tackle this on. Um, first and foremost, I am a firm believer that Freddie would be terrible at third base, and that's not Freddie's fault. Um, obviously he hasn't played there as you mentioned and, um, really ever, I don't think. And if he has, it's been a long, long, long time. Yeah. He Um, played a little in high school, it sounds like, but again, that was 10 plus years ago. Yeah. And I mean, basically everyone who makes the major leagues at this level played wherever the heck they (laughs) wanted to in the high school for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. so I I almost don't even count that. Um, but anyway, yeah, I guess that matters to a certain extent. And, you know, much has been made of Freddie's arm. Freddie has a monster arm, like, so, yeah, I mean, just from a pure arm talent standpoint, yeah, he could play third base. The problem is Freddie's not known exactly of, uh, of having a ton of range at first base when no yeah. one has range. Uh, that's kind of the that, the detraction on Freddie defensively in general at first is that he can't really move. And if you put him at third, it's going to be even worse. Um, obviously, he's not used to digging balls out um, at third base and making throws on the run, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that's number one. I think he would be terrible third at third base, which is, again, not an indictment of Freddie Freeman by any means. Um, it's just that kind of the reality. Uh, if you put him over there, maybe he wouldn't embarrass himself necessarily, but he'd be the worst defensive third baseman in the league, I'd imagine, at least right away. Maybe he'll, maybe he'd be able to improve, but you can't imagine how he'd just suddenly be playable at third. I mean, maybe I'm crazy there, but that's kind of how I think about it. Um, does that sound reasonable? I mean, I, I can't imagine he'd be anything worse yeah. than ter- anything better than terrible at third. You know, one <laughs> everyone was kind of talking about it. I think it was Friday night's game against Milwaukee where Johan Camargo more or less saved the game with just an incredible pick yeah, at third, great. and then turned a double play. And and then the next inning, he had the presence of mind to you know to hustle over to third to take a throw from Dansby to tag out. Uh, the runner and everyone kind of pointed to Dansby with good reason on that play. But if Camargo is not in perfect position, doesn't cleanly field the throw and get his tag down right away, right on t- uh, uh, Thames's arm. I mean, he's safe and all of a sudden the Braves are in huge trouble. Um, 
could Freddie Freeman do those things? I, I'm not so sure. Um, I think just it's part of it is just muscle memory of where you go when a ball gets put in play. Um, again, maybe he surprises us and is, is better than we think, but you know, just watching someone like Johan Camargo, a pretty solid defender at third, he single-handedly saved the game on, on Friday night. Without him, I think the Braves lose that game. Um, and I'm just not confident in Freddie being able to make that play. And, you know, the trade-off, sure, is is you get both Freeman and, and Matt Adams as bat in the lineup. But, again, I just don't see this being a long-term solution. If they want to do it this year, sure, that's fine. It's it's not as if the Braves are, are you know, in the, the uh, World Series hunt here, even really the playoff hunt, um, barring just something amazing happening. Um, so if they want to try it for a little bit, sure, whatever. Um, but, again, I just don't think this is the long-term thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and I mentioned there's a couple of angles to it. That's that's one that's Freeman's defense. The other one uh, you you kind of bring up there is that you want Adams and Freeman in the lineup together. Um, one thing of of that to that end for me is that you know I'm, I tend to not believe quite in Matt Adams in the way that people have jumped on here. He's obviously been incredible, um, but there's little reason to believe he's going to be this good. Um, to the point where you're shifting your your franchise cornerstone top ten player in the league to a different position for the first yeah. time, uh, that's kind of aggressive for me. You know, even if you thought Matt Adams is going to be an above average hitter, which I think he probably that's a reasonable thought considering what he's done in his career. Um, he's not going to be you know this guy with a thousand OPS. I can't imagine unless something's just clicked. But he's he's old enough to where that's probably not super likely. It's not impossible by any means, but it's pretty uh, pretty crazy that you would think about moving Freeman. And for me, you know, it's. This might be just my opinion and kind of me being an old school-ish type of guy in certain ways, but I'm of the mind that you probably don't want to fool around with Freddie Freeman. Uh, you kind of know that he's he's absolutely incredible. He's coming off an injury. He's an incredible hitter. Why would you want to take him off of first base where he has to do minimal work and it's kind of autopilot um, and putting him at third base where now he has to focus and kind of kill himself defensively in a way that he never has? Um, yeah. It's kind of unquantifiable like to figure out how much of an impact that could have, but um, you, you can bet if he, if he plays third base, even if he's okay at third and, and he's not hitting, people are going to freak out, and he might freak out, frankly, if he's playing yeah. third base and something not hitting anymore. There's lots of stories about guys who, when they change positions, can't handle it at the plate. I'm not projecting that for Freddie necessarily, and there, there are times it has worked. You know, Chipper Jones famously played left field for a while, um, and, it, and it actually went pretty well. Um, but in the same breath, going from third to left field, I would imagine, is easier than playing going from first to third. Um, you know, Chipper at this point is is a better player than Freddie. Um, but Freddie Freddie's current performance is kind of Chipper like, so he's trending toward that direction. Obviously, not the the longevity of a guy who's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But uh, anyway, I, I'm of the mind that moving him um, just in general is kind of insane. Um, even if even if even if you absolutely buy Matt Adams, I'm not sure I would move Freddie Freeman. And sort of lastly here, I'll let you uh, chime in. I know I'm talking a lot here uh, in this little section, but. Um, why wouldn't you just play Matt Adams in right field? If you were that concerned with Matt Adams yeah. getting in the mm-hmm. lineup, I would much rather have him be awful, and he would be awful, frankly, in right field, or you have Matt Kemp be awful in right field and have Adams be awful in left field. Uh, I would rather take Nate Markakis out of the lineup than I would uh, move Freddie Freeman. Is that crazy? I would rather just have a DH. Well, yeah. As- <laughs> <laughs> That's the obvious um, answer, but yes. Um, but, well, you know. Um, but I know I'm with you. I mean, Nick Markakis kind of, I mean, he is who he is at this point in his career. He's basically the same hitter this year as he's been the last two years. And he, you know, he's just kind of filling out time for the Braves and, and he's not a long-term option. Um, I'm with you though. I really don't see a good solution here. If we are going to try to fit Matt Adams in the lineup, um, just to give everybody just an idea of where Adams is, 
before the trade or even after the trade, you know, Matt Adams' career WRC plus is 113. Um, you know, even this year with it, you know, he has about 100, his uh, WRC plus in Atlanta over the last month is 130, 140. Even that is kind of in the middle to lower tier for first baseman in baseball. So it's not as if he's, you know, Freddie Freeman over there and just this, you know, other world hitter. You know, he, he's certainly a good hitter. And when you compare his bat to whoever would be starting at third base, you know, an Adonis Garcia, um, a Jace Peterson, a Johan Camargo, obviously his bat is going to look good. But at the end of the day, um, I, I just don't think his bat overall is worth kind of shifting, as you said, shifting your entire franchise's focus and making your, you know, you're really one of, I would argue, two bona fide star proven players on the roster. Um, just kind of change positions on a whim to hopefully get the lineup to be a little bit better than it was, say, two months ago. Yeah, I, I would do neither, frankly. I, I would just have Adams, you know, you know, ideally, we and you sort of brought it up at the very beginning of this, I, I would probably be trading Matt Adams if you can get what you could perceive as fair value. Um, you know, wait, wait as long as you can. Wait till Freddie's back or close to it before you pull the trigger, but... I have a very, very good feeling you can get more from Matt Adams now than you traded for him. So that that is a huge success, especially when you factor in the production that he would have provided for you for a couple of months. Um, that's yeah. a huge win. Um, even if you didn't trade him, um, to have that ace bench bat and be able to sort of play him a little bit and have insurance for Matt Kemp in left field, for instance, if if Kemp went down, you could play Matt Adams every day or close to it in left field. It might not go well, but um, you know the corner outfield tandem of Kemp and Adams would be the worst defensively in the league. Um, you know, Marquez is obviously somebody that I've uh, made fun of and poked fun of defensively. He's light. He's light years ahead of, of Matt Adams defensively. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. There's not a really good solution. Uh, ideally, I think you would look to trade him. And there's, there was a rumor this week that um, Adams is already a guy who's getting a ton of calls for the Braves right now on trade, which is not surprising considering he's absolutely raking at the plate. And there are teams that have DH needs or first base needs that could uh, certainly use Matt Adams in a playoff race. That's gonna. I think for me, it's gonna be that's gonna be the end result. Is the Braves are gonna trade him? It may not be until you know near the deadline. Um, but you know, it makes a whole lot of sense to me if they were to give the, the, the offer, even if it was today and you, and you, and you don't have a first baseman for the next couple of weeks, I would still do it. I mean, this is not going to be a playoff team. Most likely this year, they're already about 10 games back or so in the wild card race. I mean, for as, for as well as they've played recently, they haven't made up that much ground. And um, if you can get a return on Matt Adams, it's worth it to not have a first baseman for a couple of weeks. If you can go ahead and get the, uh, the package you want in return. I'm with you, and and this is kind of where I stand on trading Matt Adams. If teams are willing to offer a significant return, then the Braves would be silly not to do it. If an American League team wants to bring Adams in to play 50 games at first base and DH for 100 others, and they're going to give you know a significant top 100 prospect or even a couple of fringe top 100 guys, I think it's worth you know it's in the Braves' best interest to make the deal. Um, that said, if, if teams are kind of not buying the Braves' bluff and aren't really offering much of anything. There's really no need for the Braves to trade Matt Adams right away. Um, the nice thing about holding on to him, uh, you know, through the end of the season is in the off season, everybody's potentially a buyer, you know, as in, you know, you get to July and realistically there's probably 10 to 12 teams that are actively going to be looking to, to add to their clubs. Whereas you wait until, uh, November, December, January, everybody's looking to improve. So there is there there could be some kind of an upside to hanging on to him and, and seeing if the, the experiment works with Freddie at third and Adams at first. Um, you know, if there's a good enough offer, I, I'm very confident that, that Copy would pull the trigger and, and make it. 
Um, but if teams are just offering, um, you know, the, the, like you said, the Braves will certainly get more than than Juan Yepes for for Matt Adams after the last month. Um, but if they're not really getting much of anything, if they're getting more organizational filler guys, then you know, people who can potentially have a starting role in Atlanta within a couple of years, um, I, I wouldn't at least be uh, uh, eager to move Adams if the deals aren't right. Yeah, for sure. You don't have to move him. Um, he's making $2.8 million this year. Uh, will be arbitration eligible next year, so you have control over him. Wait wait till the summer if you want. I mean, sorry, to the winter if you want to. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of things the Braves can do here. Taking a bad deal is the worst of them, I would imagine, because even if, even if Freddie comes back and doesn't play third or you don't, you, don't, and you don't play Adams every day, you suddenly have a really good bench bat, uh, which is something you haven't had in a long time. And that's, that might be a, a, a smaller role than people want to give Matt Adams, and I understand that. He's probably a better player than that. Um, but in the same breath, there's nothing wrong with him playing uh, you know, one or two days a week and being your ace uh, sort of high-leverage bench bat down the stretch, and um, he can maintain value that way. So anyway, without getting too deep into that, um, last thing here. Uh, you mentioned it, I think, in passing earlier, but do, do you sort of believe that a lot of this could be posturing for trade value just because that's sort of the notion that I've, that I've had, other people have had, um, and I'm kind of of the mind that I'll, I'll kind of believe it when I see it with, with regard to Freddie Freeman moving to third base. But uh, how much of this do you think is real without knowing sort of the ins and outs of uh, the thought process here? I would think there is a very high chance that John Coppolella sees something in this for himself when uh, when it comes to getting the most out of Matt Adams by having Freddie go to third. And I don't mean that for copies trying to get ahead here, but the organization which he runs with the Braves. Um, if an opposing team knows that Matt Adams was going to be uh, relegated to bench duty and an occasional spot start. Um, why would you offer something big when you know they the Braves really would have no position to to um, ask for a bigger return? Because again, they're talking about a bench player on their roster. Um, you know, it could honestly be that Freddie Freeman wants to move to third, and the front office was perfectly content with just getting him, uh, you know, an okay return with Adams, but. Um, if if uh, the last two and a half years under Copy and Hart or any indication, I've got to think this is more posturing to get a better deal out of him before uh, either the deadline or during the winter months. You and I are in lockstep on that, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But uh, I will believe it when I see it, when Freddie Freeman plays third base in a major league game anytime soon. Uh, all right, we'll leave that there. Um, moving on to actual third baseman, um, Johan Camargo is basically the starter at third base right now as the Braves optioned Rio Ruiz back to Gwinnett in favor of Jace Peterson this week. And Camargo is, is a switch hitter, has been playing basically every day since then. Um, sort of overall thoughts on this. Rio is obviously struggling at the big league level in a very, very small sample. But um, what do you sort of, I, I guess, more importantly for me, because I think we talked about Rio in the past, what do you make about Camargo as not necessarily an everyday player, but do you think he, like, what, what's his future sort of value to the team? Because he is very young also and was sort of an overlooked guy before this year. Yeah, I mean, with Johan, he clearly has the arm and the glove to just kind of be a, you know, put a Murphy and need to. Um, somebody who really was not even on the Braves' radar, I would imagine, up until last year when he started to hit, um, put on some muscle and some weight and hit for a little more power and then had a really nice uh, month or so down in Gwinnett before getting the call to Atlanta. Um, probably not a, a starter by any means moving forward. I know the Martin Prado comparison, and I've even joked about it on, um, you know, on Twitter and everything that, um, you know, he's the next Martin Prado. And Martin Prado turned out to be a very good baseball player for about seven years, eight years. Um, and, and having that for Johan would obviously be uh, his very peak value, best case scenario. Um, but I think he's shown that he can at least be the utility guy for the Braves, if not, you know, a serviceable starter at third. 
Um, you know, he's not hitting super well, and, and some of his early success at the plate was fueled by um, by a high BABIP and, and just, you know, sink, kind of spraying singles all over the place. Hasn't really shown too much power and, and likely never will. But, you know, if he can play a solid third base um, and just kind of fill in, again, his defense alone makes him more valuable than Adonis Garcia. Um, and, and if he's able to just kind of hold it down until either it's Freddie Freeman over there at third or the Braves make a more permanent move, uh, this summer in the off season, I think he'll at least, uh, you know, won't embarrass himself over there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sort of in the same camp with you. I don't think Camargo is a starter level player moving forward. He's going to start here for a while, obviously, if Rio's not around and Garcia is banged up, of course. So I have no problem with that because they don't really have another option if they don't believe that Rio is ready to play more. And obviously he was struggling, so I'm okay with that. Um, Jace Peterson's back. I still believe in Jace more than others, but he's been obviously brutal at the plate for a long time. So if they want to roll Camargo out, he's young enough to where something, you know, the light bulb comes on and he becomes a uh, a better hitter over a long period of time, then that'd be great. Um, so I have no problem giving him more at-bats. Uh, just more of a note there because he has been in the lineup, um, you know, quite a bit. I don't think he, I don't think he started today, if, I, if I'm remembering, remembering right. But um, before that, I think it was four, five, six games in a row where he was at third base. So, uh, you know, Camargo's been good, and uh, we'll see what happens. I don't buy the you know you mentioned the bad up concerns. I don't buy the uh, the current production level at the plate, but uh, I'm happy to be wrong about Camargo. It's a guy that I think is at least toolsy enough to be interesting moving forward. Um, Last thing before we get into about sort of a final mailbag question, I think it's very that's going to be very interesting. Uh, we've now seen three starts from Sean Newcomb, and they've all come since the last time you were on the podcast. And you've not you and I have not talked about this, so I'm wondering what you are thinking about Sean Newcomb at this point. I'm I'm very encouraged, and I can tell you that I look forward to the nights that he's the starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Um, you know, Newcomb. Everybody knew who Newcomb was in the minor leagues, and there were countless articles, and, and I'm sure it was touched on on podcasts here and elsewhere. Um, everyone knew he struck out a lot of guys. Everyone knew he walked a lot of guys. Some nights he would be unhittable. Other nights he couldn't find the strike zone. Um, and while it's still a small sample and it's just restarts and, and big league hitters are certainly going to make adjustments, uh, I think there's, there is far more good than bad so far. He's had a couple of innings, and just kind of mistakes ahead in the count where, you know, he'll be up 0-2 and he'll groove a fastball, try to get it past him, and it, you know, gets gets lined out to the outfield for a, you know, for a hit uh, when he probably should have buried a breaking ball uh, instead. Uh, but so far, so good. He, he's faced a couple of decent lineups so far. Of course, he debuted against the Mets and looked good. Uh, took on a really talented, uh, took on a really talented Marlins lineup that that's really tough against lefties and held his own and then, um, you know, had a good night. I believe it was against the Giants. Um, this week he'll get another shot. He's going to face the Padres. I think it's Wednesday night he's set to start, and that's another reasonable uh, opponent for him out in Petco. Um, but so far, so good. I, I think, uh, you know, other than um, if you if you look at his K per nine, it, it's just about three when you take out the one intentional walk he had to load the bases. Um, he's still striking out a couple guys. I would like to see that number up a little bit. But again, um, he just doesn't give up much hard contact, and as long as he isn't walking the ballpark, I think uh, I think will be a successful big leaguer moving forward. For sure, and the walk rate's been encouraging. You know, I was the one of the vocal people that were saying that I, you did, you know you absolutely cannot pitch with his walk rate, and that he had a triple A at the major league level, and he's cut that down. It's a small sample, it's three starts, but if he can keep it in the three, even three and a half, trending towards four range, that's you you can get away with that with his stuff. 
Um, what yeah. you can't do is walk five guys per nine, which is what he was doing in the minors. Um, yeah. So we'll see if that we'll see if he can just keep keep it at, at this sort of level. He's never going to be a dynamic control pitcher by any means, but with his stuff, you don't have to be. So uh, I've been very encouraged with Newcomb, but I think we talked about it in the last couple of shows. But I wanted to at least let you get your take out there since it's been a while, and uh, Newcomb is a uh, obviously a newcomer to the rotation. So that was a, that was a, a bit of a pun. Did you get that, Scott? <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. I, I'm I, all for a good pun. I tried my best, uh, and I, honestly, it was an accident as I was talking and i was like oh wow that's actually his name in different form uh anyway um uh you can you tell i'm delirious here my voice is a little shaky so my apologies to the people um finally um mailbag question the one and only for today's show because i think it's very very interesting comes from roger wells and he asks is there any chance the organization switches dansby swanson to second base and ozzy albies back to shortstop long term the metrics this is the question still the metrics treat dansby swanson okay but the errors are concerning and before i let you answer this scott um, Dansby uh, does have positive defensive metrics according to Fangraphs and you know def- defensive run saved, um, ultimate zone rating, all stuff that's very very good. Does have 12 errors on the season. People seem to gravitate towards that as we talked about with Nick Markakis all the time. A guy that doesn't make errors, people think is a good defender, um, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I think Swanson is a good defender. But getting it out there before I let you answer this thing. But uh, uh, what, what do you what do you think about this notion that Ozzy could be the shortstop and Dansby could move back to second base at some point? I don't think it's going to happen for a couple of reasons. <laughs> yeah. Um, mostly, I, I mean, I think the Braves made their decision, um, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, or a year ago to make Dansby the shortstop and Albies the second baseman. And I think they're going to stick to it. Um, you know, Dansby's had a couple of, of miscues in the field, that, but a lot of them also, he's had a couple of tough errors, or at least what I estimated to be tough errors, a couple of bad bounces that <clears throat> he was able to get his glove on. Um, and they gave him an error, and in my head I thought, man, that, that's a tough error. Um, as you mentioned, the metrics like him, and as long as he doesn't just suddenly become, uh, you know, overnight take a bad turn, and I can't imagine he would at the age of 23, um, I think the Braves are fine with their move. I'm fine with the move. Um, Long term, I think that the Braves um, would like to see Dansby as their shortstop of, of you know, kind of the future. Um and if Ozzy, especially with his size and his profile and everything like that, I think he almost profiles better as a second baseman. Um, and, you know, there's certainly value in a de- good defensive second baseman. It's obviously not as important as having a good shortstop, just kind of the, the cornerstone of the infield. But um, I, I just don't think the Braves are going to go back on their decision, especially with Dansby having, you know, a year and a half of now pro ball experience uh, since the trade at, at shortstop. Yeah, Dansby's going to have a very, very long leash. You know, this year, the bat's been more concerning than the glove for me. I mean, the errors, he's making too many errors. There's no, there's no question about that. But when you factor in everything else, um, he's been fine defensively, if not better than average. So uh, not, a, not a big concern there. Um, and he's still young enough to where he can certainly improve, clean, clean up a little bit. The plate has not been good. You know, a 62 WRC plus right now for the season. Not going to get it done for Dansby. But, he, again, he's still young enough to where – the leash is going to be very long. Um, I'm on record with Albies as saying that I think uh, I still think that the Braves probably have a lower overall value for him than other teams would that think he can play shortstop just because the Braves have Dansby Swanson. That's a point I've made in the past a bunch of times. That has nothing to do with Ozzy Albies' talent. It's more of a situational thing. Um, if, if a team believes that he could be their long-term shortstop, 
they they should have a higher grade on him, so to speak, as a as an overall value proposition than the Braves do as a second baseman. But with that said, um, him playing second base is going to be very good, I think, long term. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be ceiling is sort of up to, up for debate. But if you have the two of those guys up the middle, um, as young as they are, for, or as and under contract for as long as they would be when he arrives, that's a pretty good. Um, proposition moving forward so yeah I'm, I'm inclined to, I'm inclined to believe you here I mean the one, the one thing that I would say is that if Dansby doesn't hit um, it, I think there's probably a larger uh, larger risk of him not being a long-term shortstop because he doesn't hit rather than him moving moving to, moving to second base if that makes sense I don't think yeah. I don't think I don't think either one of those is, is very likely I do I think Dansby's going to be a long time starter not a star by any means I don't believe but a long time uh, you know above average probably player at shortstop um, but if anything, if anything comes between that and happening, it'll probably be his bat, not his glove. I'm with you. I, whenever I think about Dansby, I'm far more concerned about the bat than the glove um, for numerous reasons. And we could probably talk for 20 more minutes about Dansby's bat and the issues there and also his strides that he's made over the season. But I think uh, if I was a betting man and both guys are all with the organization in three, five years, uh, Dansby will be at short and Ozzy will be at second. Yep, that's the uh, that's the right answer, I believe, and we'll uh, we'll see if we're wrong on that one, Scott. But I'm pretty confident. It sounds like you are as well. So that was a good question. I appreciate the question from uh, Roger Wells, and I always have to take some questions. Please get them in every Sunday. I try to remind you guys on Twitter on Sunday afternoons, uh, usually during the game, so people are paying attention. But if you have questions, please always forward them on to the talk, to the Talking Shop account or uh, at me at BT Rowan on Twitter. Uh, well, Scott, that's gonna kind of wrap it for today, man. Um, anything you want to get out there? Anything you got going on that you're gonna be writing? writing for this week or anything any big plans happening i know we're hitting the west coast which is always your sweet spot as our resident uh, west right. Coast analyst you get uh you get some scott re- game recaps this uh <laughs> this week i'm out here in arizona um yeah you know it's interesting we've we've touched on this in numerous places but uh this week is kind of the gauntlet or the beginning of the gauntlet for uh for the braves schedule moving forward uh the last two months two and a half months they've played uh I would I would guess without looking one of the five easiest schedules in baseball, if not the easiest schedule in baseball. And part of that is just how bad the NL East is. But um, you know, as somebody who's gone to San Diego to see the Braves and Padres play, uh, the Braves never win at Petco Park, whether the <laughs> Padres are good or bad. Uh, and then they have to go to Oakland. And for as meh as the uh, Athletics have been this year, they're one of the best home record teams in baseball. Um, I think they almost have a two to one uh, win to loss ratio at home this season. Um, and then just it's just brutal after that. They get the Astros for a couple games. Uh, they close out the first half with four at the Nationals. Uh, they open up with three against the Diamondbacks in Atlanta. Uh, then they get three against uh, at home against the Cubs, uh, the surging Cubs, if I'm to quote Chip Carey here. Um, and then, uh, they go four games to the Dodgers who might not lose a playoff game or just another game this season in general, because they are ridiculously good. You do four at the Dodgers, three at the Diamondbacks. And then to wrap up, uh, they have a four day series with the Phillies. So that's a, I believe a 10 game, 12 day road trip, uh, which is not going to be fun. And then they get back home and then they get the Dodgers for three more. Uh, they get the Marlins again. Um, it's, it's just a mess. I mean, the July schedule for the Braves is going to be brutal. Hopefully they're able to at least kind of be near 500 at the end of it. If they are, it would be really pretty remarkable. Um, but again, uh, for as fun as the last couple weeks have been, it's probably best to be, uh, you know, just kind of brace yourself for impact because the next four weeks are about as hard as it can, it can get, uh, schedule wise. 
Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, West Coast games are always interesting anyway because people are trying to stay awake. Uh, the one recap <laughs> that you don't have this week, I have on Tuesday. So uh, I've already started preparing coffee for the Tuesday night, uh, you know, 1.30 a.m. local time finish when I'll be writing. That'll be fun. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it should, it should be fun, man. I, I like West Coast baseball. It's always fun for the night owls like myself. And, uh, obviously, you're uh, more in the sweet spot. But it uh, should be fun, even if Braves are not necessarily going to be racking up wins in the same, at the same rate that they have been over the last uh, you know week or two here. But, uh, you know, they've been playing better, so that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. I'm always happy to be wrong when the Braves play better than I think they will because, uh, you know, yeah. for as much as uh, I have the rep of being negative about the team, it's always more fun when they win. So, yeah, there you go. I, I'm enjoying – I mean, we were – We've been talking about this. I'm enjoying the Braves right now. And there were yeah. parts of the last two years where, man, they had lost their eighth game in nine days. They were starting, uh, you know, their 18th starting pitcher of the week, it seemed like. Um, you know, they, they, it was just a mess. I mean, they had guys who had no business being, even in the big leagues, were hitting fourth and fifth and sixth for them. Um, this is at least kind of the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and this year, the last couple weeks especially, have been a lot more fun compared to you know, when they were 23 and 50 or whatever they were about this time last year. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun to uh, watch a team and uh, not just expect them to lose every night. So, yeah, that's for, for sure. And it's, it's really been entertaining. I mean, guys that we, that we really talk about. In fact, at some point, I'm gonna, we're going to need to do like an Ender Inciarte appreciation special because he yeah. uh, he's awesome like and just consistently awesome to the point where we don't talk about him nearly enough because he's like a four-win player in center field that is, you know, basically unknown outside of Atlanta. So, um, yeah, Ender's awesome. And, uh, a lot you know, Brandon Phillips has been playing really well for the most part as well. I mean, there's lots of stuff to talk about that's uh, on the positive side, and we'll do more of that moving forward. But uh, thanks, Scott, for coming on, man. It's been a good week for you. Uh, Sacramento Kings as well, uh, picking up, you know, draft assets in the NBA. I know you're not really big on the NBA, but you have like to get back that. in now, so yes. it's good. Yeah, I uh, I, I am a much maligned Sacramento Kings fan. I liked him back in the '90s. I, I went to uh, with the Mike Bibby and Chris Weber days, and, and I had a couple connections to that team. And they've been awful for a while, but I like the draft. I like De'Aaron Fox. I like uh, <laughs> Justin Jackson. Saw him when I went up to the Final Four. Um, you know, Frank Mason was National Player of the Year. So obviously, I would imagine the uh, the bulk of the listeners on this are Atlanta Hawks fans. But um, you know, maybe I'll uh, I'll be an NBA. Uh, fanatic here within a year or two if at least you know have a team to root for nba correspondent scott coleman and also uh, <laughs> you don't I'm, want that i'm very <laughs> confident we have a lot of listeners that are fans of, of kentucky um so they'll be following right. Darren fox so uh well the thing is i'm a university of arizona guy um so i'm, I'm not i don't love the university of kentucky personally but i understand but uh, i mean I, I i know for a fact we have some big blue nation members that listen to the podcast so uh Keep, let's keep it safe for now. Uh, we'll all be ready right. for De'Aaron Fox moving forward. I like De'Aaron Fox quite a bit uh, as well. So uh, there's our one common ground. But, uh, you know, this is a baseball podcast. You and I can talk about basketball off the air pretty much as we want to. But <laughs> thought I'd at least bring it up. Uh, Scott, man, thanks for coming on, man. As always, uh, please follow Scott. Is it? I believe it's at ScottColeman55. Is that correct? Yes, on sir. Twitter? That's right. Uh, please follow Scott. Follow us at Talking Chop. Follow me, BT Roland. Uh, also, subscribe to us on Facebook. It's always good. Um, a lot of content going on there as well as this podcast on iTunes and all those places you can find podcasts, SoundCloud, etc., etc. But um, as for now, we'll be back next week. And as always, stay tuned.